G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann. And today we've got Stuart Weems from Pro Solutions along to chat through if renovating and development really adds up when compared to a traditional buy and hold strategy. So if you're going to put your money somewhere, where are you going to get the best return over the shorter term and the longer term? Really excited about this topic because it's something that I consider very often, both when giving chatting to our clients and my own personal situation. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialists servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. Get asked all the time if it's worth adding value to a specific property through either renovation or development. And I've done my fair share of adding value to force the gains sooner and not rely on the market. It's especially tempting when the market's down and you're sitting on your hands and you know wanting that growth to come. So the short answer to this question is, it would seem that it's worthwhile if it generates a return of say 15%. It's worth putting your money into it. It would seem on the face of it. However, I've been chatting to my financial advisor, Stuart Wames, from Pro Solutions. And he's recently done a detailed analysis looking at whether it's really the best use of your money to renovate or develop when compared to either investing that same money into buying a better property to begin with or another property. And I wanted to get him on today to take us through the numbers and his thinking behind them because it might surprise you. So welcome to the podcast again, Stuart. Hey, Jared. Great to be with you. Fabulous. Looking forward to this topic because it has been going around in my mind, as uh, <laughs> especially with my last purchase, I was thinking, yeah, this has got renovation and or development potential. Is it something I should look at doing in the shorter term? And and I then happened to see your analysis on this. So it's going to be a great topic for me and and our (laughs) listeners. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, good. I mean, I think it's something that goes through lots of people's minds. And, you know, I think we should frame the conversation to Jared in, in terms of, you know, what my analysis is looking at. And it's really about what steps can I take or what should I do or not do in order to maximize long-term value. If someone's got a property and it lends itself to some sort of improvement, renovation and so forth, and they don't plan to hold that property for, you know, they plan to sell it in the next couple of years, it could be in fact, the best thing to do is to go and renovate, but that's really to maximize short-term value. Uh, so my analysis, we were really looking at long-term value and it seems like a six. I mean, you watch a lot of those shows on Foxtel, those US sort of renovation shows, flipping, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. it looks, you know, they, they, they go through it, they buy something that's a little bit ugly, tart it up a little bit and then flip it a couple of months later and make a nice profit. And we've got Ronnie and Georgia from the block on uh, uh, okay. a few episodes back. So yeah, go and yeah. listen to those guys if you want to delve yeah. into that more. Yeah. But, and um, it's, yeah, it sounds sexy, but if you think about the maths, you know, the, a property's value is the combination of its land value and any improvements on that land. So the building, the dwelling, of course, if we look at a sort of a rough example and just use some basic numbers, let's say this property's worth a hundred dollars. I don't know where you're buying a property for a hundred dollars, but let's just say that's the case. And let's say 60% is land value and 40% is building value. So we've got $60 worth of land and $40 worth of building. We know that, and it stands to logic, that over time, buildings depreciate. You know, buildings not going to last forever. Uh, if you build a, a dwelling today, I don't know how long it's going to last, maybe 50 years, maybe 100, but somewhere between that time. Of course, dwellings that were built, you know, 50, 100 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, some of them are still standing, but, you know, part of that's because the, the build quality is probably um, better 
back then than it is today. But either way, that $40 component, which is the building value component, will depreciate over time. So if you want a 7% return, if you're investing in property and you want your property to appreciate over the long run by 7%, then what you really need is your $100 property be worth $107 in, in a year's time from now. Is that to well, basically offset? Well, that's that's overall return, right? Yeah, so if okay. I'm going to go buy this $100 property and I want a decent return, I want 7% at least yeah. growth over long run, well, it needs to be worth $107. Yeah. So if we know that the building component is that $40 component, let's say it depreciates by 2.5%. So in a year's time, that building's now only going to be worth $39. Well, then I need $8 of capital growth of land value appreciation to firstly offset the dollar of building depreciation oh, yeah. plus get my $7 of return. That's where I was so, thinking about the offset. You need yeah, land to do more, don't you, to offset that, the build? Yeah. So I need an $8 improvement on my $60 of land value, which is really 13, just a little over 13% per annum, which isn't unreasonable or, or whatever. But if I'm going to invest in a property that's predominantly building value, or in fact, buy some land and spend a lot of money on developing that land and putting three townhouses on it, for example, well, what I'm doing is ending up with an asset that's building heavy and the portion of land is less than 50%. It starts to become more difficult in order to get that long-term capital growth. So really when people think about, oh, I'd like to develop or I'd like to renovate or I'd like to improve, they've got to understand that what they're doing is they're spending money on something that will give them some benefits, which we'll get into, but ultimately will depreciate over time. And it's the land component and you're not going to be able to change that land component, right? You buy a certain parcel of land in a certain location with a certain orientation, with a certain block size, et cetera. You have to live with that for the life of that investment. And that's why that's probably the most important aspect when you go and buy as opposed to what's on that land. Hmm. So I guess thinking about it another way, the higher the building component, the higher you need your land component to work for you to get yep. the same return. Yeah, exactly right. And so if you end up with a, a land value component of 30 or 40%, you're going to need an unrealistic yeah. amount of appreciation land-wise. So you might need 25, 30% compounding growth hmm. on that oh, land. Well, unless that land- that one. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's right. I mean, I don't know if I'd be building an investment strategy based on the premise that, that would, that's even possible over long periods of time. Mm. So essentially, mathematically, when you look at something like that, it just can't work. Like you've got to have something absurd occur for it to generate decent returns. So how does renovating or developing a property create value and appeal over that shorter term of you doing it? So there's a few things that it can create value and it can create sometimes some of those things are short-term value and longer-term value. And I guess the first one is it's it's reducing time and risk. So, you know, if there's buyers out there and let's even look at from a home buying perspective that if I want to move into a particular suburb, I can buy something that needs renovation and renovate it to the finishes and the style and exactly what I'm looking for. Or I can try and find something that's already renovated. If I try and find something that's already renovated, it means that I don't, I save the time. I don't have to go through the hassle and delay of finding builders, going through all those sorts of things, et cetera, et cetera. And also I know what I'm paying. Like I know what I'm paying, I know what I'm getting. Whereas at the beginning of a renovation, 
passion project. Mm-hmm. You can make estimates. But as we've seen through COVID, for example, you know, with the, the cost of materials blowing out, you know, people are ending up, it's costing 20% more than what it was when it began. Now, that's not, that's unique for COVID, of course, but it's not unique to renovating. I mean, it's it's rare that yeah. something's <laughs> going to come back on budget. So you do create value and people will pay a premium in order to get something that's already completed because one, it reduces their risk and two, it saves them time. It's it's already kind of moving ready. The other benefit is far more marketable. You've got yourself a really marketable asset. Again, for all those reasons, you know, something that's shiny and new and presents really well is going to be easy to sell, easier to sell and attract more buyers, which is important because the more buyers you have, the more competition you have, that the chances are that you're better, you're more likely to get a better result. And so on it's the more mar- side as well, I guess. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, renters will pay more for accommodation. They will rarely pay more for land value unless they they really want to be in a specific location, school zone or something like that. Of course, I'll pay that little bit yeah, extra. It gets them there, but they still need a roof over their head. That's it. And the, you know, if it's got a brand new kitchen, that's going to you know I'm going to be prepared to pay an extra twenty bucks a week, maybe than something that's in in terrible condition. And the last thing that you can do with respect to or when you improve the value of an asset or a, a dwelling, I should say, this is particularly the case where you see small subdivisions. So people go and buy a large block of land and build two houses or three houses and subdivide. What you do is you create a parcel or an asset that's that's far more affordable to that market. So for example, if that large family block block costs $2 million versus you know uh, one of three townhouses that costs 800000 there's a lot more buyers that can afford 800000 compared to $2 million. So you create that a more marketable asset or product where people then don't have to compromise on location or make less compromises on location. So they can still live in the suburb they want, but instead of having a house, they'll have a townhouse and they're happier. So that creates that one-off sort of kick of value, I guess, or equity mm. when you do that sort of subdivision. Now, it's got to be in a good location, right? It's got to be in a location where that actually works, or at least it will work best in those sorts of locations where the houses are starting to become unaffordable and then uh, townhouses will become a you know a, a good a proxy instead of having a house. Makes sense. Yeah. So... I guess the market will also discount properties that fall into disrepair, why not, in the opposite way. That's right. I mean, we, we can't take, you know, if I'm saying, look, land value is king, that's the appreciating bit, suspend as little as you can on the dwelling value. I mean, that would be true to some extent, but not to the extreme, of course. And with respect to maintenance and maintaining a property in good tenantable order, you can never avoid it. You can only delay it. So you can delay it for as long as possible, but typically the repairs will end up costing you more and more the longer you delay it. Or if you delay it and, and don't do it and then go and sell that asset, you will take a haircut on the, hmm. the exit price. It'll be harder to sell and there'll be fewer interested buyers and chances are you'll get a lower price. So I think that key is really make sure that you're looking after your tenants, You know that you're spending money on it, that you're not presenting something that you wouldn't want to live in yourself or you, compromises you wouldn't make, but you don't need brand new marble kitchens or European appliances all those, you can go over the top. So it's not about not spending anything on on a property, but it's also just really what is the strategy if I can, and we'll go through a couple of scenarios in a second, but you know, if you can go and find something and spend money on it, a couple hundred thousand to do it up, is that a worthwhile long-term strategy? Well, that's what we're sort of talking about. Yeah. What are some of the other benefits, I guess, to renovating or developing 
the property that we haven't touched on yet. Yeah. So the number of facets, isn't there to the benefits that you gain? There is. I mean, I just talked about, you know, what are the things, why does it create value? And then let's now talk about, you know, what are some of the financial outcomes or financial benefits of the strategy? Well, the obvious one is rental yield. You know, if you go and spend more money, as I said, renters will always pay more for a more accommodation or better accommodation, whereas investors should always pay more for more land or better land. So therefore, if you're going to spend money on the accommodation part, then it will almost always translate to a, a higher rental yield and or probably and lower vacancy, you know, because if you've got a really marketable property, chances are vacancy rates are, are going to be lower, particularly if you're in an area where there's a lot of other properties and and yours is superior, you know, in yeah. terms of finish and, and so forth. And in a softer uh, market, you know, these things matter more at yep. the moment. You know, you can put a single photo up in most capital cities around Australia and have 10 tenants wanting to rent the um the doghouse in the front. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but, that's uh, right. We've seen the opposite here where the tenants get very fussy when um when the market's soft and these things matter more and vacancy can be a bigger issue. Yeah, that's it. And, and even through, I mean, we saw that through COVID, right? When there was some tenancy problem, people changing tenants and so forth, needing to let property through COVID, through lockdowns, particularly here in Melbourne. It was a challenging thing to do, but it, but the well-presented properties were, were vacant for much shorter time periods. Yeah. Uh, the second benefit is depreciation. So some tax, some tax breaks here, of course. If we spend money on a property, we're, it's either we spend money on the actual dwelling, which is the capital, what's called capital works, uh, or we spend money on fixtures and fittings, which is called plant and equipment from a a tax nerd ATO perspective. And uh, those two components will be depreciated at different rates. So the capital works, the actual building dwelling part. uh, So if you're constructing walls or putting, you know, replacing the roof or doing something like that, uh, typically depreciated by two and a half percent per annum, whereas plant and equipment is over useful life, which is the useful life of of each of those objects, which is tends to be six to 10 years, depending Mm -hmm. on. So a rough calc, you know, a rough estimate. If you're renovating and spending two hundred fifty thousand, it might result in a, you know, a depreciation deduction of maybe twelve thousand dollars, which might save you, you know, depending on your tax rate, six thousand dollars a year in terms of. Now that's a a non cash expense. So you know, you you spend the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, you might put cash or you might go and borrow it, of course. So your only cash flow cost to doing that is the interest on that two hundred fifty thousand dollars, but the tax benefit, the tax refund fund is fully cash to you. So from a cash flow perspective, it's very powerful because I all I'm doing is paying interest on an extra $250,000 and I'm getting a $6,000 tax refund uh, attractive from a cash flow perspective. And the third element is the value appreciation for all the things I just previously spoke about in terms of time and risk and et cetera, et cetera. But that value appreciation is a once off, whereas the depreciation benefits and the high yield, they tend to be reoccurring benefits uh, associated with making hmm. improvements to property. And I guess different investors can zone in and be attracted to, you know, a, a shiny newer place, either through renovation or development because of any one of these things. Sometimes people just are overly focused on rental yield. Sometimes they're drawn in by the tax benefits. And, you know, sometimes it's a mixture of the two, isn't it? So but it's a case of where they're focusing and what they're trying, outcomes they're trying to get. Yeah. And I would say uh, as a general rule, whether it's property or any other investment, be very careful about being a 
attracted to tax benefits. Mm. Tax benefits are a consequence of investing, not a reason for doing it. We all want to save tax. And of course, you know, none of us leave a tip for the ATO at the end of the year, of course. So we don't want to pay any more than we have to, legally have to. But tax is really a consequence of making a profit, whether that's yeah. a capital gain or, or an income. It's an outcome of a very good investment is, is tax liabilities. And I've seen a lot of fundamentally flawed investments being sold off the back of tax benefits. Hey, do this and you'll save a whole bunch of tax. It attracts to a, a certain cohort and all it will invite you to do is invest in something that's not fundamentally sound. Mm. So forget about the tax, make sure the investment strategy works first and foremost. And then if there's tax benefits, fantastic. And it's icing on the cake, but not a reason for you know, eating the cake. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Stuart, take us through your financial analysis. I understand you've done three scenarios. I'd love to hear where you ended up with them. Yeah, sure. Jared, I thought about like, what are the sort of three different options that I might be attracted to if I was interested in this sort of renovate or improve property value strategy and things that I've either considered myself personally or for clients and so forth. So I came up with three scenarios. The first one is just some cosmetic renovations. So for example, buy in South Perth for $1.5 million and spend two, $250,000 on a cosmetic renovation. So that might include, you know, a new kitchen, new bathrooms, maybe carpet, paint throughout, you know, that all everything that, that's going to make it look shiny and new and very attractive. The next strategy I considered was actually a full redevelopment. So again, maybe buy in Perth, maybe Floriot, somewhere around that sort of region, bulldoze and rebuild. So buy for one and a half million and build for 1.2. So you're building a really substantial right. family home and something that's going to be really attractive to the rental market, but also attractive to that particular location. And then and the third was a small property development. So uh, a parcel of land again for one and a half million dollars, bulldoze and build two townhouses, you know, and subdivide and you could sell those uh, two townhouses separately. To make sure that they were comparable strategies, I wanted to keep the, you know, the amount we're spending relatively, uh, mm. relatively comparable, but but also kind of realistic. I use some, some particular real life examples in terms of the assumptions underlying the financial analysis. So yes. This similar can be, I don't want people to get lost in the, you know, the higher price point per se. What we're looking at is, you know, a comparison of scenarios and the and similar could be said at different price points, I'd imagine. Exactly right. I just needed to make sure that I'm comparing apples with apples. So for example, the scenario number two, which is the full bulldoze and re rebuild a family home versus build two townhouses, I'm spending the same amount like yep. in, in total on both those situations. So I wanted to make sure they're comparable. So yeah, it certainly you wouldn't necessarily, I mean, if you did that for an investment to say from a strategy perspective, I want to go and buy a parcel and rebuild a family home, you're probably not going to spend 1.2 million. Like that's mm. a lot. But again, I wanted to make sure I'm comparing apples with apples with the, the analysis. So the, and in each scenario, I compared to not doing that. For example, instead of buying the home and just doing a cosmetic renovation, so scenario number one in South Perth, just buy something that's already renovated. So instead of spending one five and spending two fifty, go and buy something for one point seven five, and then you're done. Like we're comparing the same 
apples with apples. So the answer is that the cosmetic renovation really didn't make any material change to the value. It's really about, and that made sense to me because it's really about the underlying land value, which is the original purchase. You know, I was actually a little bit surprised to some degree. I thought there would be some, because you get the extra, the higher rental yield, you get some depreciation benefits. I, I thought they would be more material, but really in the long run, they're not. So the, the renovate was, uh, you know, a little bit better off over the first seven years, but the, you know, buy something that's already renovated, it was much better off over the longer, longer run. And it stands to reason spending more money on land value and less on building value, of course, because of the simple math that we, we spoke about at the beginning mm. uh, is always going to really yield. It's a chance to work over the yeah. longer term, doesn't it? Compound. That's it. Exactly right. It's all about that compounding capital growth. When it came to the family home situation, what I compared there, actually, I should have said what I compared there is buying for one and a half and spending. 1.2 or just go and buy two investment properties you know so so one and a half plus 1.2 gives you uh what two 2.7 million in total spending well you could go and just go buy two properties for 1.3 for example so what's the difference there and it shouldn't surprise that again longer term buying those two investment properties that are and not spending any money on renovating or whatever yielded the best outcome long term yeah in the short was surprising to me yeah the well, disparity seemed to be even bigger than the first yes. scenario. Oh yeah, that it was a no-brainer. The first scenario is pretty tight, mm. uh, and that's because you know you're ending up with very similar land values. You know, if you're yeah, buying for one seven sense. or one five, your land value component is going to be relatively similar, Still, a bit different, yeah. but relatively similar. Whereas if you're buying, you know, one and a half million and then spending one point two on it, or if you're you're buying two properties for one point three, the combined land value of those two properties is likely to be for, much yeah. higher than that single family home. But that one worked. It obviously. Um, generated much better outcomes. That is, reno- rebuilding the family home in say the first six years, and that that makes sense. Very high tax benefits, much mm. higher rental yield. If people are too short term focused, or if they and I would accuse a lot of accountants as this, which is not a criticism, but more of an observation. Mm. You know, if you sit down and look at okay, if I did this and redevelop this property, look how how much better off I'd be over the I'm next twelve make months. That money, and then you know, it makes whatever, 15 plus percent. Yeah. You know, you kind of feel like you're getting ahead quicker in that moment. But this is you know, where I've really come with my investing too. You keep, you're, you're a big help in dragging me up to thinking longer term and the more time I spend around you. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you got to play. Does it. Well, you got to play that long game and unless you're a short-term investor, you know, but most people aren't. Most people mm. are saying, well, tell me how to maximize my value over the long term. So you might do the numbers the in your account. The challenge is you might think that you're a short-term investor, but what are you missing out on the larger gains over the long term? And that's what these scenarios help us see. Yeah, exactly right. And so your accountant might sit down and do the numbers and say, look, if you develop this property net of tax, you're 20000 dollars better off or $25,000 better off cash flow wise. A lot of investors are going to jump at that, but that's only half the picture, right? Because it's the compounding capital growth that property really helps us deliver. So that's what this strategy helps us uh, frame or get perspective yeah. on. And um, even though it's attractive to get that extra cash flow along the way, you're paying tax on that too, when you might not necessarily even need it. Whereas yeah. if you're opting for the higher growth that's compounding and not being taxed each year, that's how ultimately you end up with 
you know, more wealth. Yeah, exactly. I would rather forego $20,000 a year of reoccurring income for a $2 million capital gain in 15, 20 years time. Because mm. I know that compounding benefit of growth in the long run is going to is gonna serve me much better yeah. from a tax and wealth perspective. Okay, not from an income perspective. I guess the caveat to that is you've got to be able to afford to hold it and mm. In th- through good markets and bad. And where that yep. goes astray is that someone's holding a property that they can't actually afford. They get forced to sell it at the wrong times. And then, you know, it doesn't matter what it could be like in 20 years if you have to sell it. Yeah. So, yeah. The third scenario uh, three. Yeah. Scenario <laughs> three was this, the two townhouse development. So, again, very similar to the family home one. I compared doing a two townhouse development versus just going and buying two investment properties. So, again, comparing like for like in terms of value. The two townhouse house development was better off over the first 12 years, which is probably the best out of all three. But in the long run, the two investment properties were better off, but not by the same margin as scenario two. I would say, look at that because I would would wait, I'll pay a higher weighting on shorter term returns than longer term returns, just because you you, you get them now and the risk is that you don't have to wait 20 years to get all the returns. So when I look at- Potentially you could put some of that extra gains to work, I guess, maybe in another asset. Well, that's it. So that did you model that scenario? For yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's it. And that's the opportunity, but that's also the mm, risk, yeah. right? When I look at these two scenarios, the two townhouse development, I would say broadly, they're very similar. The key component was what are you going to do with that extra cash flow? Because if you do something really smart with it, you know, if you invest in the share market in a really wise way over that 20 year period that I compared over, the two townhouse development strategy would be much better than the very passive, I'll go and buy two investment properties. But that's mm. therein lies your problem. Well, because most people won't. Yeah. <laughs> most unless they've got a strategy or they're getting good yeah. quality advice, most people won't. And the money will just sit in an offset account or, you know, they'll spend it or do something like that. Mm. Well, then it's not really advancing you. Yeah. And you're then in that situation just better to go full on capital growth. So I and think the what the announcement is, mm-hmm. is and I, you did touch on it, but I just wanted to come back and emphasize it is that people underestimate the risk in completing a project successfully, especially if it's their first time. So what on paper can appear to have a good return, you know, costs blow out the, you know, the land needed extra retaining, building costs blow out, you know, the risk factor versus just going and buying two properties where you know what you've paid for them, you know that they're in great locations and you more or less know based on proven history that they're going to perform, you know, well into the future. I wrote a blog about that risk, risk weighted returns include the risk and the return, potential return. And if you, okay. if you weight that risk, then it's it, uh, a better way of comparing two different opportunities, three ways to make money, business, investing, or speculation. And sometimes it can be a crossover between one or even sometimes all three of those. Doing, making, building wealth through property development is more akin to a business than pure investing. That's Mm -hmm. true. Whereas buying something, an investment grade asset and not necessarily having to do much to it or really anything to it other than maintain it uh, is purely investing. Mm. So, you know, you've got to be, I think you've got to be the right person. You've got to have enough time as well, because both of those, you know, business yeah, takes yeah, time. Factor. Investing is very passive. So you've got to have the time and then also the risk tolerance in order to do it, which which isn't really reflected in the modeling, of course, yeah. in the financial you want to comparison. Be able to sleep at night. Exactly right. So not have your wife, you know, freak 
taken out, but <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I, I saw a post. Okay, but I saw a post by a, a colleague that was doing a development. He does a lot of them and has done a lot of them. And the development site he was posting about, I think he said it took five years to finally get the DA after many many challenges. And he's building he, in that in that situation. He was building four townhouses. Okay. You got to be tenacious. You know, you've got to have those networks. You've got to have the time, the appetite, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that's why I think it's more akin to a business than it is investing, unless you can find the right business partners to, to put around you to facilitate it. But yeah, certainly something to take into account. So what should we take away from all this just in summary? Well, land is king. I think at the end of the day, uh, renovating and developing seems sexy, but most okay. investment I mean, strategies- everywhere around the country devoted to yeah. it and people get drawn to it like moths to a flame. Yeah, exactly right. But uh, quality investing is not sexy. Shouldn't be sexy. <laughs> in fact, if it's sexy and it's enjoying, in, 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 it gives you enjoyment and it's fun, you're probably not doing it properly. Uh, quality investing is very boring. It takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not throwing darts at a dartboard. You're actually trying to minimize your risk. And so it's kind of the reverse of sexy. So, and also I think that investing and understanding markets and investments is, is just basic logic and common sense. And so it stands to reason that if I want to make money out of property, well, the best way to do that is compounding capital growth rather than incremental income. And so if I want compounding capital growth, I need land. You know, the building's there just to generate a little bit of income to help me with the holding costs and and let me hang on for that property for 20 or 30 years. But really what I want is compounding capital growth. So buy the land that's in the shortest supply and highest demand and hold it for long term. And of course, that makes basic logic and basic math suggest that you're going to be better off. Maintain your property. Don't be shy to spend money on it to make sure it's in good tenable order, et cetera, et cetera, because you can't avoid those Mm. things. But try not to spend too much money on it. Uh, and certainly, you know, a, a big renovation project for a investment property, unless you're looking to sell it in the short term, probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So what about when you start transitioning to wanting more income, perhaps later in your in your years, or you're wanting to think about leaving it to your kids? Because, you know, sometimes the quality of the asset you're leaving can, you know, have an impact on how they are able to manage your portfolio. Yeah. When I wrote this article, I shared it with uh, someone in the industry, which we both know. And uh, that was his comments. And they were very wise in terms of, look, if you get to a stage of life, sometimes that higher income, that high yield that you're going to get derive off those investments is actually beneficial. And he quoted some yields and I was really surprised. I mean, if you can develop a property and, and target it to sort of an executive market, or ex- even a short-term let executive market, which wasn't the case in this situation, but it could be, you know, you, you could end up getting some pretty high yields. And in a situation where you're going to rely less on earned income and more on passive income, that could be beneficial. And then the other comment was, uh, you know, I, I want to leave some assets to my kids. Uh, do I I want to leave, and this is a question we all need to ask ourselves, mm. do we want to leave a, a well-located land, but it, building the dwelling was terrible, it's unlivable, you know, m- my family wouldn't want to live in it, et cetera. Not to say it's dilapidated, yeah, but, you know, not, not that extreme, but no, yeah. not the same extent. Or do I want to leave my kids, you know, something that's, you know, a, a four bedroom townhouse in a great suburb, for example, 
And, and that was uh, some of his observations and considerations, which I think are very valid, of course. I'm a numbers guy, so I, <laughs> I really focus yeah. on hone down. And my exercise in this comparison was really tell me which one yields the best results over the long run. Mm-hmm. But of course, there's other non-financial considerations such as those. I think the precursor to that as well is it still assumes that you've created the wealth in order to leave it to your kids. So if your goal (laughs) is to maximize that wealth, then your answer would be the case. But then maybe once you've created it and your goals are shifting more towards how can I give, receive a better income, give them a better income, give them a better asset, then maybe that's going to be move. Maybe that yeah. will prompt you to develop or change the type of dwelling on it. Maybe you want to spend all your money and leave nothing <laughs> yes. to your kids. <laughs> maybe Even you're that- selling up. And uh, you know. <laughs> The other thing is that when you're in that uh, stage, um, you've got choices at least then. You, know? you might choose to sell some pay down debt or convert into other higher yielding assets. And it doesn't have to be a forever hold because you've held so long, it's compounded in that non-tax environment and you got choices. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, if I left my kids, my two sons, uh, you know, a whole bunch of property assets that were in locations that they w- or, or types of dwellings that they wouldn't want to occupy. I mean, if my parents did that for me, I don't think I'm going to turn around and go, oh, that's terrible, mum and dad. You should never have done that because <laughs> yeah. they're not attractive. You know, you, you're cleaning up either way. And I think I've always tried and counsel my clients, look after yourself first, build your focus on making the best financial decisions for you because you can always pivot later on. If you, if you feel like you've got excess wealth and there's going to be more than enough than you'll ever need to spend in your lifetime, that's when you can start doing something for your beneficiaries, whether it's kids or family or whatever it might be. And that could come in the form of going and buying them a family home in the location and type of property that they, they actually, actually want at want that time. Not, here's a property, you know. Yeah. So I, prioritize I like yourself. There. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. So, you know, prioritizing your own financial position actually ironically puts you in a position where you'd be most likely to be able to help out family and and so forth in the long run. Well, that's a great place to end, I think. Thanks for mm-hmm. coming on again, Stuart. Lots for me to think about in the shower tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll let you know some questions. But if any of our listeners uh, do want to reach out for accounting and uh, financial planning, um, where should they go to? I would uh, invite people just to Google the Investopoly podcast. Oh, I think that's, that's a start. really good place to start. Uh, you can learn a little bit about you know the, the way we think and the way we invest and so forth. And if that resonates, uh, of course, get in contact with, mm. with our, our firm. You've also got your book by the same name, which I can yep. see on my shelf right here. Great <laughs> read. So start with that as well if you want to dive deeper into Stuart's world and, and way of thinking. So thanks again, Stuart. Excellent. Thanks, Jared. Cheers. For free market reports on your suburbs of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorsedge.com com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. Just a reminder that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature as we don't know your specific situation. You should always seek professional advice before taking any action. I'll see you in the group. Thank you.